And Father, these ears remain stopped up unless you unplug them. These hearts remain hard unless you soften them. And we ask right now that our ears would be receptive to spiritual truth and that our hearts would be pliable to the things that you're about to teach us and show us and train us in. And Father, I ask for just your special enablement as I preach. I do not take this time for granted. Lord, this is not about a performance. This is about speaking your holy word. And we pray, Father, right now for that. I pray for just a clarion trumpet sound of a voice that is clear and to the point and that is encouraging as well as convicting. Father, do a work in all of our hearts and may we leave this place knowing that it was good to be in the house of God and to hear from our Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It was sung by the people of God. It was sung as they ascended the heights to the city of Jerusalem walking in view of God's holy temple, their place of special worship. It was a hymn of contemplation, but it was also a hymn of conviction. It would stir their hearts and their minds with thoughts of God and thoughts of their relationship with him. It is titled, A Song of Ascents or Degrees, and it was penned by the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. And I invite you to turn to the 127th Psalm, Psalm 127 in the Psalter. In this psalm, we read the first two verses now, three through five later. Read along with me, though, as I read. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. Vain! Did you hear it? Vain! Do you see it? Vain! Do you understand it? Vain meaning futile. It's useless. It's unproductive. It's ineffective. It's worthless. It is a waste. How many millions upon millions of people are wasting their lives, including some of you who have gathered here today? And not just unbelievers, but also God's children. See, I want you to understand, for some of us, our bucket has a hole, and we keep refilling it instead of fixing it. Our life has a leak. So much of life is lived in vain. Why? Because God is not in it. So much of life is a complete waste. Why? Because God is not a part of it. So much waste. Wasted time and wasted money and wasted energy and wasted life. Just like Israel of old, Jeremiah 2.5. They went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty. Later on in the same chapter, verse 13. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What a waste. It is time to fix the leaks in our lives. It is time to stop wasting your life. That's the first thing we see in verse 1 and verse 2. And what's the first thing we have to stop? 
We have to stop building without God. Stop building without God. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You need God. I need God. We need God's wisdom, and we need his guidance, and we need his strength. We need God to be the architect of our marriages. We need God to be the draftsman for our businesses. We need God to be the planner for our home and our families. We need God. Do you realize the wisdom of the ages is available for you and me? Proverbs 3, this is what is available for you and me. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. That is the wisdom and knowledge and understanding that is available for you. The same knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that formed this earth. Jeremiah 10, it is he who made the earth by his power, that's available for you. Who established the world by his wisdom, that's available for you. And by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. Do you not think the creator and sustainer of all the earth and all of the heavens cannot handle your home? Cannot handle your marriage? Cannot handle your business? So often we foolishly struggle in our own limited strength like some guy who's got the directions to put together a toy and won't look at him because he's going to figure it out and he doesn't need instructions. And he ends up with extra pieces and extra parts and he has to start all over. That's what's happening with some of your marriages. The wisdom of the world that God has available is there for you and you won't look at the instructions. No wonder your marriage is such a mess. No wonder your finances and your business are such a mess. No wonder your home is such a mess. Because you're in your pride and your arrogance have to do it on your own. James 1.5 simply says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Would you just humble yourself, sir? Would you just humble yourself, ma'am, and get on your knees and ask God for help? He can help build it, that marriage. He can help build it, that business. It's a waste if you're trying to do it without him. No more laboring in vain. They who labor in vain who built it. It produces a poor foundation because it's only a matter of time. Your marriage is going to crumble. Your business is going to go bust. And what a shame to build something that will eventually come to nothing. Your life's work to be a waste. And we can work, work, work hard and long. And we can work, work, work as long as we want and as hard as we want. If God is not your partner, you're in trouble. I'm just telling you, you're spinning your wheels, you're wasting your time and your money and your energy and your life. Consult the Lord. Consult the Lord before you just plow ahead. Seek his approval, seek his favor, lest it completely fail. Some of you need to invite God back into your marriage before it's too late. You need to invite God back into your business and finances before it's too late. It's vain to build without God. It's like a man who starts a building project without a proper permit, only to have the authorities shut it down. God's going to shut you down because you've just plowed ahead without him. There was a group of people at one time that were to build a tower that would reach to the heavens. We read about them in Genesis 11.4. 
They said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Wow, such lofty goals and exciting plans and oh, the glory and the grandeur of it all. Only one problem. If God isn't in it, it's off or not. For God, later in Genesis 11, would visit them. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And in verse 8, the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. He saw, he scattered, it stopped. Imagine all the time and planning and all the time and prepping and all the time and building. What a waste. All the time and money that they spent. What a waste. All the energy they exerted. What a waste. I want you to understand something important. Lofty plans become nothing but a scattered mess if God is not in it. Lofty plans become nothing but a scattered mess. If God is not in it, how many homes and marriages are nothing but a scattered mess? How many churches are a scattered mess? How many businesses are a scattered mess? Build it for God and build it with God, lest we build another Babel ending in confusion and frustration. It's time to invite God back into your marriage, it's time to invite God back into your business. It's time to invite God back into your home and fully and continually and humbly rely on him lest it all be for naught. Stop building without God. Verse one, the second part of it, we learn stop guarding without God. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Now, understand the historical context of this. Jerusalem was a city surrounded by numerous enemies, not unlike today. It was a fortress city located on a hill surrounded by mountains. And and this city needed strong gates and thick, high walls, and they needed watchmen. Alert watchmen every day, all night long, all night long, every day. But King Solomon, he knew that the greatest man-made barricades and protections could only do so much. We need to know the same thing because we need God. We need God's presence constantly. We need his never-failing power and protection. We need his ever-seeing watchful eyes. What an encouragement another song of a sense is, Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from whence shall my help come. My help comes from the Lord. Can you say that? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's some power. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't take naps on his children. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. We need God guarding. We need God protecting. Now, we still must do our part. This doesn't mean to foolishly just leave everything unprotected and unguarded. We have a responsibility to stay alert and to formulate wise plans and strategies and utilize the best equipment and know-how, we have a responsibility. Oliver Cromwell had it right. He was an English military and political leader in the 1600s. 
He rose to power after his conversion to Christ. And he fervently believed that God was the one guiding him and God was the one giving him his military victories. And this is what he said. Put your trust in God, my boys, and keep your powder dry. What does that mean? It means you do your part and you expect God to do his part, but you better do your part too. Do your part. Be prepared. But completely and humbly and continually rely on your God. Scripture puts it this way in Proverbs 21, verse 30 and 31. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. That's why you want God on your side. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. Get your horse ready. You do all the preparation you need to do. But victory belongs to the Lord. Understand and recognize and fully rely on God because he is the one that gives the victory. I want you to understand, if God isn't on your side, you're on the losing side. If God is not on our side, we are on the losing side. It says here, the watchman keeps awake in vain. We can take every precaution imaginable and we can have all the latest safety and security measures in place and we can be so careful and so conservative with our business and our money and we can think through every possible conceivable scenario to guard everything and protect everything and we can still lose it all if you leave God out. If you are going to rely on all your smarts and all your strengths and leave God out, you're going to lose it's only a matter of time. Listen carefully. Self-protection is vain protection if it's your only protection. Self-protection is vain protection if it's your only protection. So stop building without God. Stop guarding without God. And stop working without God. Verse 2, we briefly looked at this verse last week. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Some of us act and we work like it's all on us. And we're up early to work. Work, 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 work before the sun comes up. And we're up late at work. Work, 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 work. After the sun goes down, working through dinner, bringing our work home. Work, 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 work. You're not getting enough sleep. And you're not getting proper rest. And you're burning that proverbial candle at both ends. And you need to be reminded of an important truth in Ecclesiastes 4.6. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. Learn balance in your life. You need to rest. Not just work, 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 work. Now, it's okay to work hard. God teaches that very clearly, that we're to be diligent. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slacker, lazy hand will be put to forced labor. He doesn't want laziness. Proverbs 12, 27, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. He wants us to be hardworking and diligent. Proverbs 13, 4, soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat or satisfied in life. God doesn't believe in handouts. God wants hard work. We recognize that. Even Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3. Even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, acting like busybodies. 
Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. So we are to be hard workers, but we need to work smarter, not harder. It is vain for you to rise up early to retire late to eat the bread of plainful labors. We must stop thinking that it all depends on us or we're going to be bitterly disappointed in the end. We need to learn to trust God. We need to learn to rely on God and stop worrying and stop fretting. Why? For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. You know what God says? I got you covered. You don't need to worry about it. Work hard, but pull me into the process. I am your God. In other words, when you go to sleep and you say your prayers, you can tell God to have a good night at work. So that's what he says he's going to do. While you're sleeping, he's working on your behalf. He works the third shift, 11 to 7. He works the second shift, 3 to 11. He works the first shift, 7 to 3. While you're sleeping, God is working. God is blessing. It may be time for you and I to work less and trust more. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord. He'll sustain you. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Focus on God, what God wants. Prioritize him. All these things, all your needs will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Trust God one day at a time. Every year I read through the Bible, and I happen to just be in John right now, just finished it. And I was reading John and studying this passage. There was a passage in John that really jumped out at me. The disciples had to learn a very important lesson, and it came after the resurrection. You see, the disciples had been fishing all night long and caught nothing. Work, 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 nothing. We see the story in John 21, 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, children, do you, have any, you don't have any fish, do you? You ever been fishing and you haven't caught any somebody and somebody comes up and says, do you catch any fish? And you're like, no, no. So he asked them, you haven't caught any fish, do you? And they answered, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up, drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Listen carefully. It's time for some of you to cast your net on the right side. That means you need to start listening to Jesus. You need to start depending on Jesus. You need to start asking of Jesus. You need to start fishing and working with Jesus Stop working so hard in your own strength and start fishing and start working with the Lord Jesus. I want you to get this. Jesus from the beach can do more, so much more than you could ever do from your boat. And you need to learn that. Jesus from the beach can do so much more than you can do from your boat all night long, every single day. You need to start looking to the beach and you need to start listening to the Lord. It's time to fix the leaks. 
Stop building without God and stop guarding without God and stop working without God. And not only is it time to fix something, it's also time to focus. And he makes a transition here in Psalm 127, verse three through five, and he wants us to focus and he wants us to start treasuring our children. So he says, I want you to focus on your family and what you have. Look at verse three through five. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. He says, I want you to recognize that every single child is a gift from God. And he says, behold, pay attention, listen to this, this is special. It's important. Behold, children are a gift. And when you're given a gift, you treasure the gift. You don't mistreat it. You love the gift. You don't laugh at it. You appreciate the gift. You don't ignore it. And some of you have forgotten that your children are gifts. To be treasured, not mistreated. To be loved and not laughed at. To be appreciated and not ignored and not told to get away. Jesus treated all children as gifts, Mark 10. They were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, and the the disciples rebuked them. These aren't gifts, these are pains in the butt. Get them out of here. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. You don't take your gifts for granted. You thank God for them. And they are gifts from the Lord. Now, it was a few years back on the birth of our, our, our youngest child, I received a card. I thought it was pretty funny, and this is what it said. Children are a gift from the Lord. Remember that at 3 a.m. <laughs> Children are gifts from the Lord. And that's why abortion is such an evil, horrifying disgusting sin against the giver of gifts, the giver of life. The rejection and destruction of God's gifts. Destroying what he has beautifully crafted and beautifully made in the womb of that woman. Psalm 139, 13, you formed my inward parts. He did that. He wove me in my mother's womb. He did that. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He did that. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Even in the case of rape, that child is still a gift from God. Dare we not hold the child responsible for the sin of the father? What a crying shame. Every child is a gift from the maker and the creator. Every child is a reward. He says the fruit of the womb. He doesn't say the fruit of the loom. The fruit of the womb is a reward. You've seen those ladies with fruit. I've seen my wife with five of those big fruit baskets. The fruit of a watermelon. I mean, it's amazing how the baby just grows. Amazing. And I want you to notice here, he says the womb, the fruit of the womb is a reward, not a penalty, not a burden, but a blessing. See that baby as a blessing, not a penalty, 
and not a burden. Children are a gift. Children are a reward. Children come with great potential. Look at verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. We estimate, I had Bill and Laura figure this out for me, how many arrows we have on a Sunday morning in this church. There are over 400 every Sunday morning. That's a lot of kids from nursery through senior high and high school. There's over 400 arrows every single Sunday in this church. Arrows of every size and every shape and every age. All kinds of arrows with huge potential to fly all over this world someday. They're going everywhere. They're going to go places you and I never dreamt of. They're going to do things and accomplish things you and I never dreamed of. They're they're going to accomplish what we never thought possible. That's what those arrows do. They'll be shot all over this world. But these arrows also come with great responsibility. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. You need to prepare them to fly straight and fly true. It's our job to keep them from warping and keep them sharp and keep them aimed at the right targets. That's your job. That's my job with our arrows to point them in the right direction and to send them off in the right direction. And it takes practice. It takes practice to shoot an arrow, shooting a bow and arrow. It takes practice to parent. It's hard. You can't rely on luck when you're shooting an arrow or you'll be out of luck. You must master the art of archery, bending the bow, judging the distance, keeping an eye on the target, taking aim, determining the strength of the wind, and then releasing it and letting it fly. That's what we do with our children. We've now released two of them out of our home who are in college. They've been shot off. I talked to my wife yesterday. I said, you know, it's just strange. We we really only have three kids in the home now. They're, They're gone. We've shot them off. Raising kids is a serious matter. Arrows can hurt people if you're not careful. That's why Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Considering arrows of old, when they were made of wood, not fiberglass, George Swinnock in the 1600s wrote this of this passage. Children are compared to arrows. Now, we know that sticks are not by nature arrows. They do not grow so. They are made so. By nature, they are knotty and rugged, but by art, they are made smooth and handsome. So children by nature are rugged, but by art, they are made smooth and handsome. So children by nature are rugged and untoward, but by education and refinement and reformed, by made pliable to the divine will and pleasure. We're given some sticks, and we need to make arrows out of them. And that takes time. And it's hard at times, but that's our responsibility as parents. Children who turn out well are not the product of a haphazard home life. It's not by luck and chance. We need to train them. And if they're not trained by you, and if they're not trained by me, they will be trained by this world. They will be trained by their peers at school or by the neighbors or by the TV or by the computer or by the video games or by the movies or by the magazines. They'll be trained. Make sure they're trained by you. They're a gift, they're a reward with great potential and great responsibility and children are also protection, verse 5. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, 
They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. They are a blessing. And he says, the more kids, the better. He says, a quiver, that, that's a long, for a longbow or a backbow, that was, that was like two compartments, that's 12 to 24 arrows. That's a lot of kids. For a compound bow, it's like eight arrows. That's still a lot of kids. He's just saying, he's just saying if you've got a lot of kids, you're blessed. It's a beautiful thing. Many rude and foolish things and comments are said to people with a lot of kids. Hope you figure out what's causing that. You guys need a TV. Trying to make your own football team, baseball team? Are they all yours? What are you, Catholic or Mormon? I want you to understand something. When you mock the many kids, you mock God for his many blessings. If you dare mock somebody for the amount of children they have, you are mocking God for the gifts that he has given them. Dare not mock God for his gifts. There is no shame in having lots of children. They will not be ashamed when they speak of their enemies in the gate. There is no shame. There is pride and joy. There is no shame. There is honor and achievement. There is no shame. There is protection and provision. There's physical protection, there's financial provision, there's comfort and support in old age. It is a visible sign of God's blessing and gift from God's hand. Dare not mock the blessings of God. Psalm 127 was a psalm of contemplation and conviction both now, both then and now. And we have learned this morning, say it with me, to stop building without God to stop guarding without God, to stop working without God, and to start treasuring your children from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful psalm, the psalm of ascents as they walked up to the house of God to remind them of their relationship with you. And thank you for doing the same this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you who know the Lord is your Savior, just take a moment right now and talk to him. Where do you need to invite God back into your life? Have you been building something without him? Your business, your family? Invite him back into your marriage. Invite him back into your finances. Invite him back into your work. No more building without God. It's vain. You're wasting time and money and energy. No more guarding without God. No more working without God. Maybe you just need to thank God for your children. You need to prioritize those kids more and spend more time raising them for the glory of God. Don't just leave them like sticks. Form them and fashion them and train them to be arrows straight and true for the Lord Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here this morning and you may say, Scott, I haven't been straight and true. I've gone crooked in this life. And I've found myself wandering in 
doing things I should never do, and I need God. I have great news for you if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He will save you from your sin, and he will forgive you of every sin. And you may say, how is that possible? Because he died on the cross for every single one of our sins. And you may say, Scott, I I want God. I want him in my life. Well, then in the quietness of your heart right now, in faith, call out to him to save you. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my sin. Please save me from all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Please forgive me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've called out to the Lord this morning, we'd love just to rejoice with you in that decision you've made for Christ. And you can let a good Christian friend or family member know that you've made a decision. Something else you can do is if everyone just opens up your bulletin right now.